Chapter 10 A Freak of Nature Starting during the early days of construction, George began to stockpile supplies. The first structures that were built all around the property were the storage bunkers. Ernie had been the first to suggest that they begin stockpiling weapons, ammunition, and other essentials. It was too early to begin stockpiling food because it would spoil in the 10-plus years before the big change. But stockpiling items with longer, and indeed indefinite, shelf lives could begin immediately. The most immediate priority was ammunition, and they would need a whole bunch. Throughout their discussions, George and Ernie based their needs on George's key assumptions about history, human nature, and the most likely probabilities. In all of those scenarios, the ultimate survivability of Fort Porter depended on their ability to keep shooting longer than their attackers. At some point, George reasoned that some sort of centralized government would return and eventually restore order. What he did not, and could not know, was how long that would take. The problem wouldn't be that power couldn't eventually be restored. That could happen in two or three years. The problem would be the state of the population at that point. The most dangerous times would be towards the end of the first year or so, when the gangs organized into militias and the militias into larger, more powerful forces with some semblance of rank and order. It was against these forces that Fort Porter needed to survive. Such a force might number over a thousand men, maybe more. Repelling a concerted and organized attack would require hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition. The challenge would be acquiring so much ammunition without drawing undue attention from the federal authorities in the years leading up to the big change. Again, Ernie was the man with the best plan. They would become officially sanctioned firearms dealers, and they would open a firing range on the property. Ernie assumed that it might take a few years to get all the permits, licenses, and clearances needed, but once completed, they could buy not only ammunition, but also every type of weapon imaginable, up to and including fully automatic weapons. And the best part was that none of this would raise any red flags with any federal, state, or local agencies. They could buy thousands of rounds of ammo every month, far more than what they used for practice and at the range, and then they could stockpile the remainder. By this point, while Ernie was still not 100% convinced of George's sanity, he was sure having fun. His favorite pastime became drawing up elaborate battle plans for the property and running battle simulations on paper and on his computer. He was able to run computer simulations because George had enlisted the cartography department of the college in a pilot 3D mapping project using his property as a model. For almost a year, students, interns, and grad students had free run of the property to take pictures, measurements, and test laser equipment to build a complete 3D representation of the property. After they were finished, Ernie hired one of the grad students to map the bunkers and tunnels. George wasn't thrilled at divulging their plans to an outsider, but Ernie convinced him that it would be harmless, and by the time the shit hit the fan, this guy would probably be long gone. Using his military experience, Ernie's simulation started with him assuming the role of the attackers. 
He meticulously planned his attacks to take full advantage of what he perceived to be Fort Wagner's most obvious weaknesses. Then he would figure out ways that a small force inside Fort Porter would deal with the attack. When Izzy was nine and Jake twelve, Ernie and the whole family spent several hours every Sunday evening playing the simulations as a game. They would play in teams of two, with one side playing the attackers and the other the defenders. Not only was it a lot of fun for everyone, it also familiarized Izzy and Jake with the various strategies, weaknesses, and strengths of Fort Porter. More often than not, even George forgot that the ultimate purpose of the game was to get ready for the end of the world and not just get together and have a great time. It turns out that Izzy's team won almost 7 out of 10 times, regardless of who was on her team. She was a natural. This was a fact that annoyed Jake to the point of distraction. By the time she was 12, Izzy insisted on playing alone against everyone else. She still won, although her winning percentage dropped slightly. After years of playing the game, Ernie finally figured out how she always got an edge. It was patience. When she was on the attack, she never went for a full assault. She always had two or three separate forces working in phases of an overall attack. When she was on defense, she allowed the attackers to infiltrate more deeply into the property than the other players would allow, so the enemy forces were always thinly deployed, allowing her sniper corps to be brutally effective. She also always had a contingent of cleanup soldiers, who always ended up behind the main attack force to kill any chance of retreat and prevent regrouping. She was quite the little general. Izzy's military dominance eventually led Ernie and George to change the rules of the game to allow everyone playing to improvise. The improvisation rule simply said that any player could add weapons as well as offensive and defensive features to any geographical or man-made feature of the property. The only provision was that the player had to write down any new weapons or features before the game commenced and, of course, Everything had to be reasonable. No ray guns or lasers or anything like that. Ernie said that he created the rule to give the other players a reasonable chance to beat Izzy, but this wasn't the full truth. He had grown to respect Izzy's instincts and understanding of tactics so much that he was anxious to see what she came up with. He was sure that she would come up with suggestions and ideas that he and George had never considered. An unintended consequence of this rule change was that Jake got more involved in the game, doing extensive online research into weapons and tactics. Unfortunately for Jake, George, and Ernie, Izzy also spent more time online doing research. But while the others concentrated their efforts on modern warfare, weapons, and tactics, Izzy started in medieval times. She figured that since they were essentially building a castle of sorts, why not research the time period when castles were most prominent? Advantage Izzy While George had always planned to construct the cement wall around the entire property, it was Izzy's idea to build a smaller, secondary wall to protect the innermost structures, including the main bunker complex. An attacking force would need to expend considerable time and energy breaching the outer walls, and they probably wouldn't be expecting another wall inside the compound. And when they did encounter the secondary wall, they would have even more trouble getting through it. Another innovative feature that Izzy came up with due to the rule change 
was a plan to fortify virtually all of the buildings on the property. The beauty of this part of her plan was that from the outside, the buildings would look like typical farm, ranch, and equipment storage buildings. But in reality, the buildings would be constructed of reinforced cement, anchored by steel I-beams, and connected to the tunnel complex. But the outside of each of these structures would be constructed with a skin of corrugated steel or wood. The tunnel connections would allow the defenders to deploy forces to fortified positions within the property without being seen, and the enemy would be tempted to attack the structures, not knowing that they were fortified. Ernie thought the idea was brilliant, which it was, and George agreed. The last idea that Izzy came up with was the one that actually scared George. He had been worrying that Izzy had become a little too obsessed with battle plans and strategies. He always knew that it wasn't normal, but he was willing to accept that. But as she became more and more involved, he worried that she would become hardened. He did not want that. He had to seriously wonder about her mental state when, during the course of a game, she was dealing with an aggressive assault on her inner wall. As the attackers successfully took up defensive positions as they assaulted the wall, she sat back, crossed her arms, and smiled as all three of her opponents described their moves. Then she raised her hand and said, quite simply, gasoline sprinklers. 80 to 90% casualty rate for troops within 100 yards of the inner wall. Jake was the first to react. He had finally been able to get his forces into position. In fact, he had never been successful at getting in so close with more than a few random soldiers. What the hell is that? Gasoline sprinklers? Give me a break. You lose, Izzy. Give it up. Izzy picked up the folded piece of paper from in front of her and opened it for all to see. On the paper was a crude but clear drawing of a pipeline leading from the fuel storage tanks on the hill to the same general area where the water storage tanks fed into the irrigation system. At the junction, she had drawn a detailed view of a switchable valve that would allow the fuel to feed directly into the pipes to the sprinklers. Jake studied the drawing in complete silence, scrunching his face in disgust as he understood the ramifications of her latest stroke of genius. He threw the paper down in front of Ernie and he stood up. Screw you, Izzy, he screamed, storming out of the room. Ernie picked up the paper and scanned it. He whistled and smiled at Izzy, handing the paper to George. George looked at the drawing, and then he looked at Ernie. He raised a questioning eyebrow to Ernie, who just nodded. How on earth did you come up with this, Izzy? I was studying castle assaults and defenses, and one of the most effective tactics back in the Middle Ages was for them to throw oil down on the walls of the castle and light it on fire. That seemed kind of primitive for our purposes. But then, this morning, I was riding Xena, and the sprinklers went off, soaking us with water. I was about 50 yards from where the inner wall would be built at the time. If the sprinklers could soak me, so could gasoline, right? Is she right, Ernie? George asked. Well, let's put it this way. She just kicked our asses in this game. And yes, it's not only possible, but it's actually practical. I'll double check, but I think the pipes we've planned for the sprinklers are perfectly suitable for gasoline. 
We will probably want to increase the capacity of our fuel storage tanks if we want to have this as a contingency, but that shouldn't be a problem. Izzy didn't say a word. She just looked back and forth between her father and Ernie, waiting to answer any more questions. There were none until George looked at her, concerned. Are you all right, Izzy? Huh? I just want to make sure you're okay. Izzy, who had just turned ten, smiled. I'm fine, Daddy. This is just a game, right? It is, George answered. Right now, it is. And I won, right? Yes, you did. Kicked our butts, Ernie added. Then I'm great, Izzy giggled. I think your calculations were wrong, though, Ernie said. Izzy and George both spoke at the same time. Really? Yes. I think your casualty figures are wrong. I think it's closer to 100%. There's no place to hide out there, and there's no source of water to douse the flames. I think everyone within reach of the sprinklers will be a casualty. If the fire and smoke don't kill them immediately, they'll die from the burns. Let's not get too morbid, Ernie, George cautioned, concerned for Izzy. It's okay, Daddy. I was being conservative on purpose. She giggled again. That was fun. I'm going to go play with my dolls, okay? George opened his arms, and Izzy ran over to him, jumped up into his lap, and gave him a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. I love you, Daddy. I love you too, sweetheart, George replied, patting her on the bottom as she hopped up and ran towards her room. When she was gone, Ernie looked at George and started laughing. <laughs> Did that really just happen, George? Oh, yeah. Should I be worried? I don't know. She seems fine. In a really scary way, George laughed. George deliberately scheduled other activities for a couple of weeks after that, thinking that his kids, especially Izzy, needed a break from the game. Of course, Jake spent that time trying to come up with more strategies and better weapons. But when the game resumed, Izzy was just as formidable as before. But now that the gasoline sprinklers were an official feature of Fort Porter, no team was able to successfully breach the inner wall. One item that Jake came up with was soon integrated into George and Ernie's plan. All of the planning up to that point had only included small and medium-sized weapons. The largest were a couple of M60 machine guns that George had brought into the game for a defensive position before Izzy's gasoline sprinklers made the machine guns move. But after Jake had watched the movie Predator, he was awestruck with the chain gun that Arnold Schwarzenegger's character had used in the film. Jake brought ten of them into the game, mounted to open-top SUVs to assault the compound. 6,000 rounds per minute will literally shred everything in its path, Jake explained with pride. I can take out Izzy's snipers at a thousand yards. Maybe, Izzy, Izzy conceded, but that assumes that you could find them. I'll see the muzzle flashes and then just barrage them with gunfire. What if you don't see the flashes? Come on, Izzy, you've got to give me this one. I got you beat. He makes a pretty convincing argument, Izzy, George agreed. Izzy looked at Ernie, who was usually on her side. What do you think, Ernie? Even for a great sniper, a moving target at a thousand yards is a one in a ten shot. 
I don't know that you could take them out like that. Izzy smiled and picked up another piece of paper from in front of her. She tapped the paper and looked at everyone, pausing at each to make sure they had eye contact. She opened the paper. 50 caliber sniper rifles with silencers and flash suppressors. Up to a two-mile range, only a little less with silencers. With armor-piercing rounds, I can disable the jeeps from 2,000 yards and then take my time picking off the shooters. Jake sighed, Ernie smiled, and George gestured for Izzy to hand him the paper. She did. I was planning on somewhere between 10 and 20 snipers. You're a freak, Jake said. He couldn't be angry with her anymore. He realized that it was pointless. She was a freak. A freak of nature. Jake stood up and walked over to George, looking over his shoulder at the paper. Izzy had printed pictures of the sniper rifle with and without the silencer. It looked impressive. Jake's right, Izzy, Ernie said with a smile. He is? Izzy asked, surprised. You are a freak, Ernie laughed. Izzy agreed with a laugh. I am, right? Then it's unanimous, George chimed in. You win again, and you're a freak. But you're our freak, and we all love you. Izzy blushed. Jake walked over and gave her a big hug, whispering in her ear, I'm glad you're on our side, freak. He left laughing. I'm going to go play with my dolls. Love you guys, Izzy said, and then she was gone. Can we do this, George asked. The chain guns, yes. The rifles, yes. Not so sure about the suppressors, but I know someone I can call, Ernie explained. I'll get on it. Ernie left, shaking his head, wondering again how Izzy came up with her ideas. George tossed the paper back on the table and was soon lost in his own thoughts. He smiled when he realized that his adorable, cute, and darling ten-year-old daughter was, in fact, a freak. It was a funny thing for him to admit, but it also gave him great comfort. When he had first set off on the path to creating Fort Porter, Izzy was his biggest worry. He had always figured that Jake would be the one to step up and protect his sister and help George manage the property. Now it was absolutely apparent that things were the other way around. It might be Izzy that was protecting Jake and helping him manage things. Regardless of how things played out, Izzy would be just fine. She was truly a freak, but in the best possible way. George got the best night's worth of sleep in over a year that night, and when he awoke the next morning, he noticed that his cheeks hurt a little bit. It turns out that he'd been sleeping with a big grin on his face. <laughs>